So before I, I forget, I, I do want to recognize this. Last week we baptized Nathaniel. I saw Nathaniel here this morning. Nathaniel, where are you? There you go. Sitting right, right near Michelle. I would just encourage you to, to welcome them into this community and rejoice with them, not only in the miraculous thing that happened to them, the miraculous thing that happened to us at one time, whether we remember it or not. We were dead, walking people made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is at work among us. We're continuing in our series in Ephesians where we're seeing all that God has done for us, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and how it's going to be worked out in later chapters in our lives. This morning we're going to finish up with chapter 2, so I'm simply going to encourage you to, to open up your Bibles or look in your bulletins here, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 22, 11 through the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, Paul writes, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask this morning as we open up your word that you would open up our hearts, that we would see more of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ, that we would come to grips with understanding the peace that only Christ brings. Would you bless us now, in Jesus' name, amen. We saw last week, if you remember, remember the sermon, we saw last week how God does something that sounds very crazy to the world, that he takes spiritually dead people who are walking around, and he makes them new. He changes them. We read last week, But God, who is rich in mercy, abundant in love, he made us alive, raises us up, and seats us with him in the heavenly places. It's by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, that we are saved. 
And if we are Christians here this morning, we have experienced the power of God in a miraculous way. Our temptation, though, is to live like we used to live. Not necessarily bad, but just as if we are not made new. In our passage this morning, we learn that this power that raised us from the living dead, this power of grace, this power of Christ, this power of the Spirit, that power that worked in us in the past, it continues to work in our lives today by tearing down barriers that separate people. For those who are in Christ, and only those in Christ, all the things that separate us, Culture, nationality, race, male, female, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, anything that can separate us now has, now no longer has any power to divide us because Jesus Christ has come and he has brought peace. This morning we're going to answer three questions. First of all, we're going to define or answer the question, what is this peace that Jesus brings? Secondly, we're going to talk about how do we get this peace? And then lastly, what does it look like in the community of God? First, what is peace? Look at, look at verse 13. I'm going to start in the middle here a little bit. But now, Christ Jesus, in him you were far off. You've now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, he himself is our peace who has made us both, and here Paul is meaning different types of people, Jew and Gentile. He, bring, he made us both, made us one, not the same, but made us unified, in unity. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You have to understand, in the ancient world, there was an empire-wide problem of hostility, even hatred, between the Jew and the Gentile. They did not like each other at all. There were other problems with other groups, but in the early church, these two particularly did not get along. We read in verse 11 and 12, the Gentiles, they were without Christ. They were alienated from the people of God. They were strangers to the covenants of promise with no hope and no true God. In other words, they were Christless, they were homeless, they were friendless, they were hopeless, and they were godless. I do want to pause there for a minute. It's not natural that we in the West, and particularly in America, it's crazy that we are Christians. You see, the Jews, they did have some benefits. They were the people of God. They had the covenants of promise. They did have hope. But the gospel has gone out to a people that had, has no reason in and of themselves at all to be Christians. We're the Gentiles here. We're the ones that were far off. The Jews had these real blessings, but, but be real clear. Without Christ, they were still in a bad spot. They both needed peace. The whole world wants this peace, and we've wanted it forever. I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I like three different types of movies. I like action thrillers. They're always fun. 
Believe it or not, I'm embarrassed to say that I like those sci-fi movies that are really kind of dumb, but I like them. And then I like my third category of movies is sailboat movies. I like movies about sailboats. My, my favorite movie is All is Lost with Robert Redford. Don't know, it's been a while. I don't even know how old it is, but I, I like it because there's very few words in the whole movie. He's on the boat by himself all the time. There's nothing more peaceful in my mind than a sailboat being moved along by the power of the wind. No sound but the waves and the birds. Nothing more peaceful than moving through the ocean or a lake powered by the wind. That is until a big storm comes along. That is until another boat crashes into your boat. Or the modern-day pirates come to just rob you. It kind of has a way of stealing the peace. Peace, according to the world, is only temporary. It's only an absence of bad things. Peace in the world is not the biblical peace that's being spoken of here, which is positive, complete, and full. So biblical peace on a sailboat, it would be absolute security no matter what happened. So you could be in the middle of the storm on your sailboat all by yourself and you're being tossed to and fro by the waves and you're just sitting back smoking a pipe. Or the modern day pirates will come on this sailboat and biblical peace would be you would just have to sit there and you could look at them and they wouldn't bother you at all because you could just say, peace. Doesn't happen in the movies. Do you know why it doesn't happen in the movies? Because it doesn't happen in the world. John 14 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, Jesus says. Not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So in the midst of trouble, you can have peace with biblical peace. In the midst of fear, you can have peace with Jesus. In terms of people... Peace is not one group or one person becoming like the other. It's both groups becoming something else entirely. John, I mean, uh, verse 15, Jesus is our peace by abolishing the law and the ordinances. It's not that the law and the ordinances are bad, but they pointed to our need that Jesus Christ had to come to create one new man if we were going to experience this kind of peace. The world wants one group of people to become like another group of people, and Jesus comes and he makes a whole new group of people in a totally different category. C.S. Lewis says, There's one vice of which no man in the world is free. It's pride. Pride leads, he says, to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. We all struggle with pride. Proud of what we have and proud of even what we don't have. I'll confess to you that when I had my 1996 Ford Ranger that was basically just falling apart, no air conditioner, no heater, or at least most of the time, no heater. When I would pull up next to this nice 17-year-old guy in that, that big Ford Dually that's really just like a, a, a leisure vehicle with a bed in the back, 
I'd pull up and I'd look like a midget next to this big old truck. And I'd be really proud and I'd say to myself, well, I'm glad I'm not all wrapped up in that nice truck like you are. <laughs> we can be proud of what we have. We can be proud of what we don't have. We can be proud in who we are and we're proud in who we're not, right? Sure am glad I'm not like that person over there. Proud in what we know, proud in what we don't know. And we see it being worked out, this pride, this idea of peace in the world. We see it being worked out in our politics today and displayed on social media. We simply want the other person to come over to our side. We want other people to change. Never consider the fact that we might be the ones that need to change. We want other people to think like us. And then if everybody thinks like us, the world will be set right. You realize Adolf Hitler wanted peace. And he started a world war to get it. Peace is not as simple as we'd like to think. Peace in the Bible is marked by true unity and it's otherworldly. Peace is a state of being reflected in our relationship with God, in our relationship with other people, where what unites us is greater than anything that, that can divide us. Can I say that again? Peace is, godly peace is having something that unites us that is greater than anything that could possibly divide us. And that's why Jesus Christ is the only one who gives us peace. It all pivots around Jesus Christ. What we do with him, what we believe. For the believer, if we're going to enjoy this peace and we're going to experience this peace with God and, and, and we're actually going to experience it with other people, it's coming to grips more and more with who Jesus is. And if you're an unbeliever here this morning, it starts with seeing who Jesus is and what he's done. Because Jesus alone is the bringer of this peace that we all supposedly want. And I say supposedly because I'm not sure that's really what we want. I think it's unintentional. Most people really don't want peace. They just want what they think will bring peace. And unless it's Jesus Christ, it will not work. So Jesus Christ and the peace that he brings, he's the only one. And what he's done, it's, it's the only thing that's big enough, uh, big enough to unite us that's bigger than any of the differences that we have. So the second question is, how do we get it? Let me get you, and I'm going to go slow here because this is a little complicated and I have plenty of time. In verse 13, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's a reference to the cross, okay? Verse 14 Jesus is our peace who makes us both one or he unites us to other people who are different from us. He does this by breaking down in his flesh. That's another reference to the cross. He does this by breaking down the dividing wall of his hostility so that he will create one new man. In, in other words, create something different, making peace. Verse 16, again, the death of Christ reconciles us with our differences to God in one body. The body is the reference to the church, meaning all believers who have trusted in Christ. 
Verse 17, he comes and he preached peace. Again, that is a reference to the cross. He didn't go to the Ephesians. Jesus didn't go to the Ephesians and preach peace. He died on the cross for them. So that in verse 18, we all have access to God the Father. What I want you to see here is everything centers in this passage concerning this peace. Everything centers around the cross of Jesus Christ. This is how the death of Jesus brings us peace. Let me, let me explain in two ways how that works. First, theologically, and second, practically. How does the death of Jesus bring us peace? Theologically, we tend to think, even in this church, we tend to think that Jesus died simply to save us or simply to demonstrate his love for us. That, of course, is those are both very true. Jesus did die to save us. Jesus did die to demonstrate his love for us. But that's not the primary reason Jesus dies on a cross. The primary reason, according to Romans 3, is that God did, does this, Jesus on the cross, to demonstrate God's righteousness and justice. God, Jesus dies on the cross to demonstrate the righteousness of God, and it's very closely connected with justice. You can't have peace if something's gone wrong without it being made right first. We can't say, hey, let's just all get along and magically peace arrives. It's like the kid on the playground that get, get, gets beat up. He's not going to get up and run, run to his mommy and say, hey, mommy, everything's all right. We're at peace now. He wants something to be made right. Peace requires justice, and the righteousness of God demands a payment to get peace. Somebody has to pay. We can't pay it because we're the cause of the lack of peace. We can't fix what's wrong, so Jesus comes to pay the penalty for us. And peace comes because justice has been paid and ultimate justice is worked out in Christ on the cross who takes our curse, takes our penalty, and for those who believe they are justified, they are made right, they are forgiven, and they have peace with God. And flowing out of this peace that we have with God comes peace with other people. That's what it looks like theologically. Peace just doesn't happen. Somebody's got to pay. Jesus Christ has paid the price and reconciled us to God. We are now at peace with him, and now we can live at peace with other people. That's the theological point. Here's the practical point. I'm going to have a little fun here because this is fun. We look, at the we look by faith at the cross, and we see Jesus paying the cost of, of the righteousness of God, paying the cost of my injustice, I see Jesus on the cross for me, knowing that that should be me on the cross, and it's not me, it's Jesus, and I am unbelievably humbled. Smashes my pride, because I'd like to say that I could bring peace, and I can't bring peace. So Jesus, dying on the cross for me, humbles me. At the same time, in my humility, I'm looking at the cross, and I am so overwhelmed that God loved me so much that he would do that for me. And then I look over at my brother and sister in Christ Jesus, who is much different than me, and I say, man, he didn't even do that for me, just me. He did that for him. He did that for her. He did that for anybody who believes in his son.
It doesn't stop there. I think, man, if Jesus died for that person, I probably need to get to know that person. This is where I'm going to have a little fun. So I'm going to say, eh, I need to get to know that person, so I probably need to take him to lunch. The problem is I know that person. I've heard about that person. That person doesn't eat meat, and I like meat for lunch. So I'm going to have to take this person who doesn't eat meat. I know this is a little simple, but bear with me. And I'm going to have to have a salad. And I'm going to eat a salad, and I'm going to have a nice salad. And you know what we're going to talk about? We're not going to talk about the meat. We're not going to talk about the salad. We're going to talk about Jesus. And he's going to tell me all the things that Jesus did for him, and I'm going to tell him all the things that Jesus did for me, and we're going to have a good time. Eventually, we'll go to lunch again. And we'll eventually talk about the meat. And we'll know that Jesus is so big, that we love Jesus so much, is not about the meat, it's about Jesus. And we can even make fun of each other because he doesn't like meat and I do. And I'm going to say, that's a boring rabbit meal. And he's going to say, you're going to die because your arteries are going to all be closed up. And we're going to have a good time. Because Jesus Christ is the most important thing to us than, than people of different colors. They're not as different as we think. Rich and poor, educated, uneducated, those differences are still there. They do not go away. But something bigger and better is always there, and it's Jesus Christ. You know what the problem is, brothers and sisters in Christ? We love something else more than Jesus. Any difference, now this is where it gets tricky. Any difference that is allowable and in line with the gospel vegetarians non-vegetarians any difference that is allowable in line with the gospel black and white rich and poor educated uneducated if it's acceptable to god then it should be acceptable to us but this is where the rub is this is where the world gets it wrong you can't have god's peace with other people if jesus christ is not at the center you can have a worldly peace, you can get along, you can have an absence of hostility, but you can't have the full, full dynamic of the peace of God if we all don't have Jesus Christ. Because you can't talk about the things that separate us because what separates us defines us and it should be different than what defines a Christian. Peace all flows out of the cross. The root, the root cause of our division is not our differences. The root cause of our division is our sin. And sin divides us. And there's only one solution to sin. And it's the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when Christ becomes more important to us than all these other things, then we will experience peace. But it's the peace of Christ. And anything else is simply a half measure. This means... That in this room, if we know Jesus Christ, nothing should separate us. Unless it's something that separates them from God. It means we can be friends with people who are outside of Christ. We can love them. We can turn the other cheek. But at some point, we have to present Jesus Christ to them. And we do it not because we want them to know we're right. This is why we do it. 
We do it because when Jesus Christ comes back, he comes to judge the world, and we are either in Christ and will rest in peace, or we will be found outside of Christ where there is no peace. It's the peace of Christ that lasts. What is that peace? How do we get it? It's all about Jesus. Thirdly, what does it look like? Verse 19, we are no longer strangers or aliens. We are no longer strangers or aliens. We are fellow citizens with all believers. We are still different with different races, different jobs, different ideals, male and female. But we are part of the same kingdom of God. And that kingdom is bigger and better than our own little kingdoms. And the kingdom of God is seen in the church of Jesus Christ. And the church of Jesus Christ is not just Redeemer. It's every church that professes Jesus Christ and preaches Christ crucified. That is the church. The foundation of this church of Jesus Christ is the gospel. That's the reference to the apostles and the prophets. And we are all held together by Jesus Christ who is the cornerstone. Jesus is what unites us. Jesus is who unites us. He is what holds us together. The problem that we have is, for many of us, Jesus Christ isn't at the center of who we are. We have all these other things that we try to pull in. He's not the cornerstone. And if he's not the cornerstone, the building's going to fall. We can make our race more important. We can make our money more important. We can make our ideas more important. We can make our families more important. When these become more important than Jesus Christ and what he's done, of course, we're going to be at each other's throats. God is the one who is building us up together in Jesus Christ, not only here, but across the globe. At one time, we were alienated from God. At one time, we were alienated from each other. But now we've been reconciled to God and therefore reconciled to one another. In faith and forgiveness, we move closer to Jesus Christ. And as we move closer to Jesus Christ, we move closer to one another. There should be nothing in this room between Christians that divide us as long as Jesus is at the center. Looks like this. It looks like a spirit-filled church. You know what I mean when I say a spirit-filled church? It doesn't, it doesn't mean we can't see it. That's not what it means to be, have a spirit-filled church. It doesn't mean that it's immaterial. Rather, a spirit-filled church is the reality of men and women with all their differences, all our differences, forming the people of God who are dominated by God's living power and presence in the Spirit because Jesus Christ is most valuable to us. Jesus Christ is what the world pivots on. Jesus Christ is what my life pivots on. Jesus Christ is what Redeemer pivots on. And the question is, what are we doing with Jesus Christ? That's the question for believers. That's the question for unbelievers. That is the ultimate question that the, that the world hinges upon. I don't mind peace with the world as an absence of hostility. I want to get along. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to love our enemies. But we have to recognize the fact that at some point in time, we have to present Jesus Christ to the world. And it, it will either bring us together or it will move us apart. And we've got to be ready.
We have to love Jesus more than anything else. My prayer is that we would walk out of here, if you do know Jesus Christ, that you would be more committed than ever as you come to this table, that you'd be more committed to, than ever to, to grabbing hold of him and never letting him go. And if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, I, I would ask you to, to consider what is it that you are building your life on? What is the cornerstone? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are reminded this morning that it's only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the, the God who has become man, lived among us, died in our place, was raised from the dead, is now seated at the right hand. He is, he is who holds us together. He is the one who makes sense of this world where, where good things happen and bad things happen. I ask that you would help us see him clearly even more now today than we have in the past even as we come to the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. Bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen.